0: Hello. Hey, good morning, family. Good to see you guys. Um, God is good, is he not? God is good. And uh, and Annie's singing today. That makes me happy. That makes me happy. Good to see you, sis, singing. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John, if you know where that is, that's all right, it's in the back of your Bible, that's where 1 John is, all right, and we're going to be continuing our series called Walking in the Light Together, and we've been learning what does it mean, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus. Our scripture this morning is going to come from chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. My little children I'm writing these things to you So that you may not sin But if anyone does sin We have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous He is the propitiation for our sins And not for our sins only But for the sins of the whole world And by this We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him." Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, it is so good to be near you and with you and with your people. Uh, again, another day to worship you. Uh, we love you and thank you for that. God, uh, You call pastors to uh, preach your word and to uh, comfort the unsettled and to unsettle the comfortable. So God, I pray that you'd help me do my job today through your word, uh, by your power. Would you speak to us today? And would you change each and every one of us today through your word? I know that you can do this. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mo Farah is something of an Olympic giant in uh, Great Britain. He has won multiple gold medals for multiple races over the span of his uh, racing career. His most impressive win, however, has got to be uh, the 10,000-meter race under the bright lights in the Rio Olympics. was just a few months ago. Can you believe it's just been a few months ago? A lot of time has passed since then, it seems. Though the track was well lit for him, Mo was tripped up by another competitor in the pack, and he fell hard to the ground early in the race. There were audible gasps from the spectators in the stadium in Rio when that happened. And even some of the news uh, people that were reporting this on NBC News, you could hear them gasp, and it's just shock and horror. This is what he's trained four years for. And now he's on the pavement. Everybody thought that he was out of the race. He hits the ground and the pack moves on. His confidence, he talked about in an interview later, his confidence was shaken, understandably, when that happened. Not only, though, was Mo able to regain his stride and finish the race with, with pretty good time. But to everybody's astonishment, he came from behind and took first place and added another gold medal to his resume. Can you believe that? It was outstanding. The Apostle Apostle John has laid out before us what it means to have fellowship with God. This is what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. It means to walk in the light which we talked about last week, means that the core, our core disposition towards God is open to God. It's receptive to what God, what God has to say to us about us, what God has to say about Him and life. And John says that there is real life in living that way by walking in the light. But what happens when we trip in the light? We're walking the light and we trip though in the light. What happens when we get distracted? We take a hard fall, we hit the pavement? What happens when we've trained for fellowship with God, yet we sin against God anyway? Maybe intentionally. We choose pleasure over sin over pleasure of knowing God. How do we get back up? How do we recover our stride? How do we finish this race? And here is the answer from the Apostle John, when we trip in the light. We apply the medicine of the advocate. We apply the medicine of the advocate. Now depending on the fall, depending on the situation, you know, doctors apply medicine in different ways, and so must we. We apply it. One way we apply it is like ointment to the injured. Like a little cream we put on someone that's scuffed up their knee. We apply like ointment to the injured. Look at verse 1. John uh, John says, my little children. Isn't that just an affectionate way to to start this out? He calls the people in his church my little children. I wonder what the old people thought of that. He's constantly in this letter. He's saying things that are hard, and he's saying things that are soft. And he wants them to know his pastor's heart my little children. You're not strangers. You're not people off the street. I know you. I love you. So listen, my little children. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So one of John's uh, stated purposes for penning this letter, he tells us, is so that his people, his congregation, will not sin. John actually believes that something has happened that makes it possible for people to not sin. That they can actually enjoy God right now more than anything else. However, John also knows people, and he knows from his personal experience That you can be a disciple of Jesus and still sin. We still fall into sin. Nobody going to say amen to that one, huh? (laughs) We give in to our rage. Amen? We give in to it. We ignore the needs of our spouse. We murder someone's character all over Facebook. We indulge in prejudicial thinking and prejudicial feelings. We indulge our anxieties instead of trusting the Lord. And when we fall, it injures us. It injures us. One of the ways that sin injures us, and it does in a whole host of ways, but one of the ways that sin injures us personally when we fall is that it shakes our confidence in the Lord. It shakes our confidence in the fact that we really are in fellowship with God. And we experience that. I know I've experienced that. We start to question ourselves, and they come fast, and they come hard. If I really knew the character of God, why would I do that? Why would I choose sin over God if I really knew who God was? God is light, and I know that. Why would I do that? And these questions come. I must not know God. After what I did, after what it did to this relationship, to the people that I care about, after what, the effect that it had on me in my life, why wouldn't God abandon me? Why wouldn't he quit on me? I quit on him. You see, for the true disciples, sin feels great at first. That's why we do it. It feels good. No one sends out a duty and obligation. It feels good to us at first, and then it clobbers us. It clobbers our conscience with guilt and with doubt afterwards. And if nothing is done about this, it can lead to despair. Despair sounds like, well, maybe I'm not really his disciple after all, so why bother? Why try? I'll just lay down here. I'll just quit. And here is the medicine for the sin-injured soul here's the good news that needs to be applied. You have an advocate. You have an advocate. An advocate is someone that defends another party. They're not defending themselves. An advocate defends someone else that can't speak for themselves, that can't speak up for themselves. They speak on their behalf, and they also speak on their benefit for their good, For their blessing. John tells us that Jesus Christ is our advocate. He has committed himself to training us so that we will finish the race. Right now, Jesus is our advocate. And here is how Christ advocates for us when we sin. It's in verse 2. It says this. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, propitiation, what does that mean? That's a great churchy word, isn't it? You know? Try dropping that into your conversation this afternoon with someone. Propitiation, it's actually, it really is a good word. Propitiation means the turning away of God's rightful anger at sin... Through a sacrifice. Jesus Christ was sacrificed fully. He fully and he perfectly, that means completely, absorbed the punishment that we deserved. So that it fell on him. Well, it won't fall on us at the time that we deserve it. That's propitiation. Here's what makes this medicine so effective to our sin, the sin-injured person. Here's what gives it that real time, that real life kick that we desperately need when we fall. Christ is somehow, we don't completely understand how, but Christ is somehow right now dynamically, actively advocating for us in the presence of the Father. That's what John is saying. I want you to think about that for a second, because that's pretty cool. The writer of Hebrew explains this in a little bit different way with some different words, but Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he, that is Christ, he's talking about, he, Christ, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, the picture is this. It is not that Christ is urgently pleading his case against a cross-armed, stubborn God the Father who would rather shoot down lightning bolts on you and me. But Christ has so worn him down against his will that he finally has made his case and he says, okay, I won't do it this time. That's not the picture of advocating that's going on. I don't want you to see that in your mind. Rather, the picture is more like Christ is constantly presenting his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice to the Father so that the charges brought against you and I do not stick. Hey, Father, remember what I did on the cross? Remember, we talked about this in eternity past. We agreed this was going to... Yeah, I do, I do. I remember, yeah, well, okay, here we go again. just, I just, can I just show, remember we talked about that? I just want to talk about it again because it's so great. I never get tired of talking about how awesome and wonderful this is. Can I show you again, Father? Yeah, yeah. I want to hear about that again. That's the picture I want you guys to understand about propitiation, about advocating. For as often as we sin, his sacrifice never gets diluted in its effectiveness. Did you get that? For as often as we sin, as often as it is presented, it never gets diluted in its effectiveness. What I mean by that is this. God never looks at his son and says, yes, yes, your blood, that's great. Your death, that is great. You know, that worked for the last 50 times in Chad's life when he sinned and did that sin over again. 50 times, it was great. But you, you know what, you use that up. I mean, your punch card's punched out, son. What else you got? What has what you got that's a value? Never happens. That does not happen. His blood is as strong as it ever was. And that means that Christ never tires from advocating for you and for me. Like he doesn't get bored doing that over and over. Have you thought about that? Jesus speaks for us sinners and the Father loves to listen to everything his son has to say and he does this all day and all night, all day long for you. For you. Without ever getting tired of doing it or bored. Why? Because as he does this over and over, it proves, it shows off how perfect his Savior, he is. It shows how perfect his sacrifice really I'm going to present it again and not something else. I'm really perfect. And the Father goes, I love hearing about how perfect my son is. He loves it. What I'm getting at is this. In other words, Jesus actually enjoys advocating for us. He enjoys it. He likes it. That should blow your mind. That should blow your mind. It is what he lives for, Hebrew says. He lives to do this. It's what gets him up before the alarm clock goes off. It gets him up on Saturday when there's no work to be done. You know what I'm saying? Like this is is the work he loves to do for you and for me. He lives for this stuff. This is our Savior. He, a- he actually enjoys reminding the Father, hey, 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 my blood is perfect. My righteousness is perfect for them. Remember that? It's perfect, and they're not done until I get them across the finish line, Father. He goes, yeah, you're right. You're right, because you're my perfect son. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we share with one another. And this is what keeps us from despairing, family, in our failures. And we do fail, and we will fail. This is your medicine. This is what we need to preach to ourselves, the gospel, and to one another And if you are injured by sin, if your conscience is beat down by your failing, even Saturday night, last night, whatever it may be, this is what you need applied to your soul and not something else. Your righteousness is not your security before God the Father. Christ's righteousness is your security before the Father because He stands before the Father ever making intercession on your behalf on my behalf. It is His perfect sacrifice. Not what you're going to do to make up for it in your atonement. It is His blood and His atonement that is your security. That is our assurance before the Father. But I want to be quick to add this. This is only good news for sinners. Make sense? This is only good news for sinners. The medicine of the advocate is only helpful to the sin-injured person. If we are not injured by sin, if our sins are so small, "Ah, it's not a big deal. If they are so small, if they are so weak and wimpy to the point of being irrelevant couldn't disrupt any fellowship that we have with God, doesn't bother our conscience because it's no big deal. If they are so small, if they are so weak that they could not injure us at all, then there is no comfort for us here. There's no comfort here for us. And if that is us, then for us, the medicine needs to be applied in a different way. We apply it like smelling salts to the sleeper. Same medicine applied differently. We apply it like smelling salts to the sleeper. If what John was saying in the first couple of verses was rest to those that are injured by their sins, in these verses he is warning people asleep in their sin to wake up. Wake up right now. It's important. Look at verses 3 through 4. And by this we know that we've come to know him. Here's how we know that we know. If we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. John takes all that the great advocate has done and he waves it like smelling salts under the noses of people who are asleep in their sin and they have a false sense of security. Here is how we know that we know God, John says. Here's how we know that the advocate is our advocate. We keep his commandments. This is one of the tests John presents to know that we're in the light. There is evidence of obedience to God's commandments in our life. This is not something new that John is teaching, by the way. This is some old." This is something that Jesus taught John, and now John is teaching other people. Check this out, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, they have them and they keep them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, and Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's not just his commandments. It's God's commandments he's talking about, including Jesus. Anyone can say that they know God and that they're his disciple. Anyone can say that. Anyone can say that they're on his team. I'm on Team Jesus. I know him. But if that claim is not supported by evidence to his commandments, then they don't really know him, John says. There's this idea among people that claim to be disciples. The idea is that since we are saved by grace alone and by nothing that we do, that there is nothing we need to do. What we do is absolutely and utterly irrelevant. This idea goes way beyond simply resting in Christ's work to the point of falling asleep in sin. And those are not the same thing. I'm so secure because I believe in this advocate that there's nothing that now I do. Knowing God does not change my desires at all. Knowing God does not change my my behavior at all. I have a belief in God, but I don't need to obey God. It's irrelevant. It doesn't even matter. And John says to that person, wake up. You're sleeping. Wake up. You're not safe. Wake up. It's important. I love you. Here's how Paul says this with a little bit of different wording in Ephesians 5.14. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from sleep. The dead. Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I like how the songwriter Keith Green applied these smelling salts of John in the song Asleep in the Light. He'd say, How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you can't even get out of the bed? He's applying that test. When I tell Vanessa that I'm meeting someone at Starbucks, she expects me to come home smelling like burnt coffee beans. Excuse me, roasted coffee beans. We like Starbucks here, right? Sorry about that. She expects me to come home. So Amen, right? She expects me to come home smelling like... Coffee beans, roasted coffee beans. Why? The smell confirms my claim. The smell confirms my claim. It's in that same way, obedience to God is evidence. We've spent, we're spending time with God and we actually know him. Obedience is the smell. It's the aroma of what I'm saying. So, how do these two things go together? Or did I just paint myself into a corner? How do we pull this together, family? On the one hand, we have fellowship based on God's grace through Christ's sacrificial death and his constant advocacy on our behalf. Salvation and fellowship with God is not achieved by anything that we do. Not at all. Not at all. And on the other hand, good works and obedience must be present in our life to show that we are saved. That we really do know Him. If we're not changed by Christ, if we don't obey what God says, we do not really have fellowship with Him, John says. It's a false sense of security because we're asleep in our sins and asleep in the light. Now We've we got to pull this together. So I guess what I'm going to have to do is this. I guess I'm going to have to grit my teeth, get a full night's sleep tonight, get up early and try really hard tomorrow to keep God's Word. Right? Is that that the solution? I'm going to have to do. I mean, I'm going to have to get some good deeds on my record so I can show I'm actually a disciple, and I'm I'm good for a while. No, no, that's not what we do, and that's not what we have to do, even if we could do that. That is religion, guys. That's not Christianity, and that may be what some of us have been presented with at different times in our life, but that's not the gospel. So if obedience to God is the evidence that I actually know this God, then what produces that obedience in me if it's not my efforts and what I do? How how does that happen? What produces it? One little word that John introduces here, and he's going to talk about the rest of the epistle. One little word. Love. Love does that. Look at verse 5, guys. But anyone who keeps his word, that's obeying him. Okay? And anyone who keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Obedience to God happens because we love God from our heart. John is not saying keep God's commandments so that we can have fellowship with him, so we can have life with him and forgiveness of sin. Rather, what he is saying is this since we have fellowship with God, since we have forgiveness of all of our sins through the Advocate, we will inevitably keep God's commands. We will keep his commandments, it will happen. That is why it is evidence. Of what has happened in our heart. Our hearts are so overwhelmed by the love that God has given to us through Jesus, we will inevitably obey Him. In other words, we will want to obey His commandments, we will want to walk in His ways. Our heart has been changed, so the doing is done. We just can't help ourselves. Obedience is love responding to love. So for the disciple, it is impossible for us to see a perfectly righteous advocate gladly speaking on our behalf day and night so that self-centered people like us might have fellowship with God the Father forever. It is impossible for us to behold that is happening on our behalf all day, every day, and not want to respond to that love in obedience. We look at that and we behold that and we go, oh my God, I love you. Thank you. How could I show you that I'm actually thankful? We want to love him back. Obedience is affections in actions, family. That's what I'm saying. It's affections in actions. There is an affectionate element to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the love test. A changed life comes from a changed heart. How we live has radically changed. Not perfectly. That's what verses 1 and 2 are about. Our heart has radically changed because we, what we love the most has been changed. We love God the most now. Yeah, we love other things, but His love has ordered all those things. His commandment used to be a burden to us. But now through Christ, through seeing what He's done for us, that burden's light. That yoke is easy. Give it to me. I want to know what pleases you, Father. I want to live in a way that makes you smile, since you're smiling on me. I love you. We want to live his way because of his great love for us. That is someone that really knows God and is walking in the light. And I have to ask, because I love you, does this describe you? And I'm asking you because I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer it. Does this describe you right now, if you're being honest with yourself? Because if it does not describe you, It is time for you to be honest with God. It is time, today it is time for you to be honest with yourself. You may know uh, about God. You may know all the Christian words to all the Christian songs. You may have gone to church a long time. You may know about the cross and about maybe you read the Bible And maybe you could pass on the outside as a Christian. But the truth is that you don't really love God. You don't really love him. Like you have no affection about God. You can say, yeah, I know God like I know algebra. And that's about as excited as you get about that. Two plus two is four. That's true. I believe that. But the truth is you have no real affection for God. It doesn't move you in any way. And if that's you, then it's time to be honest with God today. Be honest with yourself. Tell him that you need a change of heart. And you know what? He will change your heart. He will change your heart. He'll do that. You need to tell him, Lord, your love does not move me at all. And I want it to move me. And you know what? He will give you his love. He will make it bold in bold letters for you. He will apply that love to your heart where you will love him. He will do that for you. He will answer that prayer. I promise you, he will answer that prayer. But you need to be honest with him. It's important and it matters. And I love you guys. And I'm about ready to pray. And when I pray, I want you to pray with me, okay? Just pray in your heart with me. God, dear Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your life. Thank you, Jesus, for obeying the Father perfectly for us. Thank you for your sacrificial death on that cross, that bloody cross that criminals were supposed to die on, that you, O King of glory, died on. Thank you for doing that for us so that we could have fellowship with you and the Father forever and ever, right now and forevermore. I thank you, Jesus, that you are speaking good about us when we speak bad about you. You speak good about us to the Father day and night, day after day. And you enjoy it. Thank you, thank you for that, Jesus. And I pray right now that as you are moving on people's hearts, maybe even convicting hearts, Lord, that I pray that you would make us alive to you. Make us alive to you. Help us not be too prideful to say, I need you, Jesus. I need you, Father. I know you, but I want to love you. Lord, would you do that to us today? Would you help us walk in your ways with a thankful heart? And where we're not thankful, Lord, uh, Lord, b- make that burden light to us. Help us behold Jesus Christ in his grace and his love and his mercy. We ask all of this in his wonderful and perfect name. Amen.